what is up, everybody? Roger Gallardi back, bringing the violence to your ears with another episode of The Call to Violence. You know, I got a full plate today. We'll recap UFC 265 and go over some of the uh, over the bouts over the last couple weeks, including uh, Bellator with AJ McKee. We will preview the PFL and Bellator cards coming up uh, this weekend. Uh, I believe those are tomorrow. And we'll get into some of the bigger news. And so let's just get right into the thick of things. Um, first order of business, though, some um, housekeeping notes. I apologize for the audio in the last two episodes. Um, you know, usually my uh, my quality is not too bad. Still kind of have like a, like a beginner setup here, but... Um, didn't realize I was being kind of lazy and wasn't really like listening to my audio back uh, on the last two episodes and did not realize how bad they were and realized I had a um, mic issue. So I got that sorted. I think this episode should sound a lot better. Freaking had to do mic checks for an hour before doing this. So everything should be in order. But if it's not, I apologize and uh, I'll give out my address so you guys can come and make me pay for it. All right, let's get right into it. So UFC 265 was on Saturday. We have uh, Cyril gone as the new uh, UFC interim champ. Um, he defeated Lewis at, let's see, was that in the fourth round? Uh, sorry, third round. Uh, four minutes uh, into the third round. Um, I believe he outstruck Derek by over 100 strikes. I think Derek only landed like 16 strikes, maybe even less than that. Um, yeah, this was one-way traffic, and this is what I was really worried about going into this. Um, you know, I, I've said it on this podcast a lot. You know, Derek's a great guy, and, you know, really, like, people think, like, these, um, you know, when they put him up against, um, you know, other strikers that, it, you know, it's going to turn into a fun fight, but it really ends up just being um, target practice for whoever else he's fighting. Derek does the best against grapplers. Um, you know, even if the grapplers have power in their hands, it's almost a detriment to them because um, Derek can capitalize on that. Um, they get, you know, they kind of get a little too uh, a little too confident because they land on Derek and then they end up getting blasted. And then even if they get takedowns, Derek's so big that they can't maintain control and then Derek ends up just getting right up um, and ends up blasting them. But yeah, technical strikers are always going to be Derek's kryptonite. Yeah, he got, you know, he ended up catching Volkov, but Volkov again was just at target practice all day, you know, before getting uh before getting blasted um at the end of that third round, um, you know, from that fight a few years ago. And so going into this, I just didn't, you know, Cyril Ghosn, he's just not one of these, you know, young technical strikers. You know, he's only 9-0 and or I believe 10-0 and now in MMA, but, you know, has a wealth of kickboxing experience. So he's seen guys like Derek before. Um, you know, he, you know he, he's a vet. So, you know, getting getting stuck into a uh, – or getting goaded into a, a pissing contest and a firefight with Derek just, just wasn't on the table for me. And so I really had a bad feeling about this fight for Derek going in. But, um, you know, it wasn't Derek's night. And so even though it was his hometown – and everything kind of was put on Derek's shoulders to sell this fight. You know, Cyril gone won. A um, couple things. Let me talk a few more things about Derek, and then and then we'll really focus on Cyril because it was Cyril's it was Cyril's moment. Um, but did anybody else get the get the feeling that you know, you know, and he said he said leading up that I think they put it on the embedded where um, Derek was saying he was really feeling the pressure, and you know you could tell uh, you could tell the whole week leading up. Um, you know, he had a couple good moments, you know, spitting fire. But besides that, you could tell. I, I, you, I feel like you could really tell he was nervous. 
Sorry, guys, I just had to take a sip of my crisp, refreshing peach and honey aha. Um, never thought peach and honey would go together, but I guess with a little bit of carbonated water, anything is possible. No, I am not sponsored by AHA, but hey, Coke, if you guys are listening, I would love to sponsor you guys. Anyways, um, but yeah, um, I, I just, I don't know if it was just because it was in his hometown, it was for the title, and I know Derek really wants to be the champ, um, and you know, if it was just the pressure of everything getting to him, but uh, you could definitely see it weighing in on him on the fight, uh, or during the fight. And Cyril, you know, just was calm, cool, collected, super comfortable, just picked his shots, and, you know, just pieced Derek apart until he got the finish. And, um, I, you know, I really didn't expect Cyril to finish Derek, but freaking did it. Um, Cyril's going to be a really, really, really tough, 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 tough uh, matchup for Nganu. Um, you know, Nganu's size and his... Um, his power is really probably going to be the difference maker, but um, just be, I mean, but that's with everybody in that weight class. Um, but man, it, it it's so interesting because it's like, yeah, okay, the thing. But the thing about that though is, is you know, they're both strikers, so they're probably not going to go for takedowns. Um, you know, maybe Ngannou tries just to mix things up, but Cyril's not. So does that give Ngannou more confidence that because Ngannou's still in that same boat where he just has to land one. And he was looking real good in that Miocic fight. So it's just like his game's clearly co coming together. Gon's game is really coming together. And so it's going to be a... Um, it's just a beautiful stylistic matchup because you have Ngannou who's just going to come... Try and come forward and take Gon out. But Gon just showed in his last three fights that he he's not going to be there. But then when you have the... Again, when you have the size and the power of Ngannou and he can close distance very well, it's... It makes for a very, very interesting fight. But that division's kind of up in the air right now because we don't know what's going to happen. UFC's clearly at odds with Jones because they don't want to give Jones... They don't want to pay Jones the money. Um, they just did an interim championship with, with these two when Ngannou was ready to fight. He's not hurt. But to fill a schedule, they threw in an interim, interim belt in there, which clearly is causing a rift between the UFC and Ngannou now. So now we don't know where Ngannou and Jones stands. And so now you have Stipe and Gon sitting in the mist. So does this possibly leave open? And um, Jones already shot down a, a fight with Miocic. I don't think Miocic is going to do anything unless it's for a championship. So does this mean that Miocic and Gon are going to fight? I don't know. Interesting. Interesting times, though, uh, especially in the heavyweights right now. Um, clearly like there's specific matchups that need to be made, but it doesn't look like there's, they're going to be made just due to politics and money. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see, I, I don't think, you know, us as fans, you know, we win either way, but I think, you know, obviously, obviously the number one fight that needs to be made is Jones and Ngannou. And if that can't be made because of Jones, then it's got to be Gon and Ngannou. But if, for whatever reason, UFC is still at odds with Ngannou, then I think Gon's going to be defending that interim championship against Miocic, which I think is a crazy stylistic matchup too because uh, Gon's whole resume leading up to this has all been stand-up fighters. Um, let's take a look here real quick. Oh, let's see here real quick. Let me see here real quick. Probably should have had his record up. Uh, Cyril gone. 
I'm pretty sure it's been all stand-up guys. Let's see. Okay, he's been in the UFC since 4-0. Okay, Tanner Bosser, he's pretty much all stand-up. Uh, the first two guys, I'm not... And, you know, he's got uh, his first two wins in the UFC were actually submissions. But, I mean, we all know where his strengths are. But then, yeah, Junior Dos Santos, Jarzinho, and Volkov. So, pretty much everybody that he's fought at the top have all been strikers. He hasn't fought one grappling base fighter. So... Miocic would be the first person and you know Miocic just isn't a wrestler or anything obviously I mean like you know he's got plenty of knockouts on his boat um but clearly can mix it up however he wants and if he needs to go to the well with the wrestling or just even clinching doesn't even have to get it down but if he wants to make it rough with uh surreal on the bottom or uh, against the fence um you know that's uh you know he could do that so you might be see- seeing Cyril Gaon and Stipe Miocic uh him defending that belt again that's not ideal but that's what very well could happen and um you know uh, you know um now that i'm thinking about it though uh, i want to talk a little bit about that fight um with uh with derek loose again um cause, just because there, there was more to it than just cyril being able to you know stay on the outside and you know um, stay away from damage and then inflict his own damage but i mean um i thought derek was going to need to to work in some takedowns just to get um Cyril, uh, you know, a little bit mixed up, but um, anytime they got in the clinch, immediately Gon got one uh, underhook, and even though Derek was the way bigger guy, uh, Gon had no problem switching positions against the fence. I mean, if you go back and watch the fight, I know it's kind of tough, but um, go back and watch the fight, and every time Derek instigates a clinch, and they're getting pushed back to the fence. Right before they fall against the fence, Cyril uses Derek's oncoming momentum to turn him and then put Derek against the fence, and then Derek could do nothing. Um, he could barely get double unders. He could barely turn out. It was it was crazy because I've never seen anybody do that to Derek before. I mean, dude, Derek is a big, strong guy who cuts to 265, and Cyril had no problem moving him. Um, even when Cyril had his back up against the fence, he could still turn Derek all the way around and put his back against the fence. To me, that was the most impressive thing. Um, Derek was never in this fight at all. And I thought, you know, even though Gone would um, kind of make it ugly and play on the outside, which he did, he beat Derek in places that I thought even he would have a little bit of trouble in. Um so he dude, he's a complete athlete and even though and he's a he is a big guy but do we get like between Nganu and Derek like you know he's still undersized a little bit but you even kind of saw that with the Volkov fight um like Cyril is no joke and if you think you're just gonna you know if you think you're gonna outmuscle him you're not um th- this dude's legit and he's kind of had a quiet rise to the top because you know he's been kind of taking out people who've People who have recently have already taken out, like JDS, like Rosenstrike. Um, Volkov was on a little bit, uh, you know, of a good win streak, but you know he re- recently was, um, you know, totally shut out by uh, by Curtis Blade. So even though he has these great wins, they kind of get overshadowed because they're against guys who have already gotten figured out. Um, but you can't take any away from the dude's game. Um, no pun intended. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll see kind of how heavyweight shakes out with that. Um, following the, or, um, right before that though, we had Jose Aldo and Pedro Munoz and give me one second guys. Sorry about that. Um, but we had, um, you know, I, I really, you know, they call Jose Aldo the King of Rio and he's this big Brazilian legend. 
And so I kind of hate when they put him up against these other, you know, Brazilian guys. I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I mean, like, I have no problem when they do it with anybody else. Um, like American versus American. I mean, that happens all the time. Who really cares about that? But, um, I don't know why I get like weird, um, with the Brazilians, like even with like, uh, even though they're all great fights, like Shogun and Lil Nog and stuff like that. And I don't know. It's, I don't know what it is about Brazil. I'll have to think about that more. I don't know what it is when they, when they put the, uh, the Brazilian cats together. I just, I'm always like, oh, this must suck to be Brazilian to watch this. I uh, actually, the only time... One of the few times that I liked it was when it was uh, Anderson and Vitor way back in the day, but that's a that's another topic. But um, you know, I was really surprised. Um, Aldo and Pedro. You know, I really thought Pedro um, would pull this one out just because he's the more well-rounded fighter. Um, you know, he clearly has the grappling. That's his background. But then his leg kicks and his striking have just come so far, and they're you know really what he kind of relies on as of late. And I just figured, you know. Aldo would look good early, but then I figured Pedro would just put a pace on him and get him backpedaling to the point where Aldo wouldn't be able to keep up. But it was kind of the opposite that actually happened. Um, Pedro was not, they, they pretty much just stood right in front of each other and just decided to have a you know uh, pretty much just a, a stagnant Muay Thai fight uh, for three rounds. Which if you're gonna do that with Aldo, you better be on your p's and q's because he's he's fallen off just a bit. But he hasn't fallen off so much to where if you choose to play his game, you're going to beat him at it. Um, all those reactions were great. His straight punches down the middle. I mean, his jab was just phenomenal, and he really just beat Pedro with that. With you know, with with the fundamentals, um, there really isn't much more to it. Um, did a great job of checking all of Pedro's kicks. Um, did a great job of getting his own kicks off. Uh, I think Pedro hurt his foot uh, or his leg on one of the first few kicks that he threw because he threw a really low calf kick and Aldo pointed his foot down and uh or pointed his knee down and I believe he ended up kicking uh, a bad part of um Aldo's knee or his his uh, upper shin and um kind of threw Pedro off a little bit but dude great performance by Jose Aldo um like to get 30 27 across the board is fucking nuts I mean he's he's obviously showing that he's not washed um that he's still a viable contender i don't know how much farther he goes in this division um just because i mean this division right now is just insane it's it's totally insane um i mean this is deeper than 155 right now to me like 155 170 and 135 are just the creme de la creme right now um let me get to 135 because we'll we'll talk about 170 more in the when we talk about the next fight but i mean you got jose aldo sitting at number five Pedro Munoz was nine, um, so I guess yeah, I, I I guess they'll do Rob Font Jose Aldo next. You could do a rematch with Marlon, but I think Marlon is tied up in a fight right now. Um, you know he called out T.J. Dillashaw, but uh, you know I think T.J.'s gonna. I mean even with this knee surgery because his knee's all fucked up, you know he's definitely gonna be put on ice, and I'm pretty sure he'll get the winner of Jan and Sterling. Um, you could see Jose Aldo, Corey Sandahagen, um, for Corey Sandahagen to kind of rebound off of. Um, Cody Garbrandt's going down to 125, so that's official. So he's kind of out of 135 at the moment. But, you know, don't be surprised if you see him back up there soon. Um, you know what, fight, and I, and I know some people are, are already talking about this, but I still feel like even though Jose is, you know, he looked great in his last couple fights, I really feel like him versus Dominic Cruz is the fight to make. Just, you know, 
just based on the on the uh, on the legends aspect. And I think it's fun for both guys. Um, you know, both of those guys reigned over those lighter weight divisions for so long, um, both in the WEC and then when they came over to the UFC. I mean, those two were the staples um, at 135 and 145 for years, for years. Um, I'm trying to think, like, I, I think they both won their fights. Here, let's see this real quick. I want to see this because I think, I, I think they came became champ. Um, right around the same time back in the WEC. Uh, Joseph Scott Jordan, when did he beat? When did he beat? Oh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Okay, he won the... Yeah, he beat Bulls March 6th of 2010. And when did you win? Okay, so... Damn, that was 11 years ago. That is crazy. Uh, I was a, I was in eighth grade. Oh my God. I was in eighth grade. All right. Now let's see when Jose Aldo won the belt against Mike Brown. Yeah. So a month, um, wait, no. Okay. Yeah. So November 18th, 2009. So just a few months before, just maybe not even six months. Uh, November, December, January, February, March. Yeah, so four months. So four months before Dom won his belt, Jose won his. Um, and then they went on, and then what? So Cruz, I think, got injured in 2012. So that's about, you know, a couple years there. But, you know, only was out for injury. And then obviously, you know, had his comeback and all that. So Dom's been at the game, been at the top of the game for a long time. But then Aldo didn't le- le- lose his 145-pound belt. He didn't even lose until Connor knocked him out at the very, very end of 2015 in December. So we're talking from two for six years. Six years. That's insane. Like, that was my whole grade school um, career right there from what that's 2009 so the time i was in like like eighth grade till my first year of college uh jose was the uh jose was the man which is just insane to think about um so i really i just uh, coming having this come back full circle stylistically stakes legends i think that fight is awesome um the only question is is do you make it a main event and make it five rounds which would favor dominic or do you make it the co-main on a pay-per-view or put it on the main card of uh, of a pay-per-view and have it only be three and favor jose and that's something that management will have to work out um you know i really like three round jose aldo i don't think i mean i think his style is made for three rounds and really when you go back and you watch his title fights you could really tell like oh man like, you know, he comes out strong in those first three rounds and then really tapers off in the fourth and fifth. And with him being in, and, and you saw it in this last fight, with being only three rounds, you see much more of his game. He's not conserving energy as much. He's not picking his shots more. He's just letting everything flow way, way better. So I definitely prefer Jose Aldo in, in three round fights. But obviously, Dominic Cruz is definitely going to want that fight to be five rounds to favor him. So. We will see what happens there. Um, I don't really think Pedro goes down too far. Again, he's going to, you know, he, he Pedro's been a little bit inconsistent where he wins ones, loses one, wins one. So he's going to have to figure out his game. I definitely still think that was a winnable fight for him. He just kind of fought right into all those, um, right into all those game. But 
um, this division is so stacked. You know, one more big win, and he's right back up there with, with the rest of them. Um, let's see. Ah, now this next fight. This fight was uh, was the fight I was looking forward to most. Still, probably after everything, my favorite fight on the whole card. Um, even even over the Fazeev, uh Bobby Green fight, which we'll talk a little bit about um, after this one. Um, but dude, this was one of the best one round fights uh, I've seen in a really long time. And to me, this was really like a quintessential matchup uh, for 170 pounds. Stylistically, you know, you had Kiesa, the big, long, lean, just heavy top game grappler, and then Vicente Luque with the crazy power and leg kicks with the with his Muay Thai background. And, you know, you could tell Kiesa was not comfortable standing up. Um, I don't think he expected Vincente to push into him like that. And, you know, he you know, Kiesa was doing a good job with his movement at first, but you can only be on your bike like that so long. Um before you find yourself up against the fence, it's not like it's not like he was moving in and out like Gon was um, in the main event. Uh, go back and watch Kiesa. He's literally just trying to um, shuffle around and get Vincente to overcommit on a shot so he's gonna get a takedown. But Vincente was like a um, like a uh, like a bloodhound or like a shark with blood in the water and just kept on him, and that works. Uh, when you're when you're backpedaling like that, that works. Um, when you're not worried so much about um, how do I put this? Um, eventually, eventually, with Vincente's uh, striking, if you push your back up against the fence like that, you're not you're gonna limit your exits, and you end up gonna you're gonna end up getting caught, which is exactly what happened to Vincente. Um, I mean, which is exactly what happened to to Kiesa. Um, as you could see, he was doing fine and he even landed that nice one too when he was on that on that black line, that black octagon line. But then Vincente started closing him back more to the point where um, Kiesa was just on the outside of that, um, of that fence. And at a certain point, the way that that octagon is angled, you're going to close yourself off. And you're obviously, when you're shuffling back and forth, you're not going to go you're not going to go back into the power hand off of an exit. And so Vincente was like, okay, here, let me just throw my, uh, let me just throw my left hand real quick. And then just catches him. Um, and that's when you saw that first knockdown. I think they ruled it a slip, but I don't know. I think that was a knockdown. That was a beautifully timed, um, left hand. And, um, you know, it was just all about timing. Uh, Vincente knew exactly where Kiesa was going to go, um, gets tagged. But then, you know, Kiesa gets the, gets the much-needed takedown. And then this is where I thought it was over. Um, quickly passes straight to half guard. Gets the lockdown. Doesn't even waste time with it. Moves right into guard. Or right into full mount. And from full mount, I mean, just took over quick. And it was looking like that was the beginning of the end. And for how quick, because I know Vincente is no slouch on the ground. Obviously, Kiesa's better, but... For for Kiesa just to just to rip through Luke like that, I mean that was just so telling. And then when he got his neck, he started with the crank. He only had one to hook in, and it was just like this is insane. And I, and I think everybody was getting a little ahead of themselves. Um, and I was quickly thinking like, oh my god, dude, Kiesa is definitely the man here at 170. Um, I was definitely thinking like, man, if he can take anybody down, it is over. And then b- before I could even finish my next couple thoughts. Uh, Luke ends up getting a reversal. 
Kiesa tries going for a for an armbar or a triangle. Kiesa uh, or Luke gets up, and you know this is what happens. At, you know at the very very top of this game, if you get lazy for one second, it can cost you, and that's exactly what happened to Kiesa. Kiesa got up, tried tried getting up, left his neck out there, and Luke cinched in this Darce choke so quickly. I mean it was beautiful, and the momentum just completely flipped on its head. And this to me is when grappling is at its best in MMA. When it's when it's quick transitions and shuffles like that. That's when that's why I hate when um when people say grappling is boring because it can be super fun. Yeah, grappling can be boring but can so can striking. Like like I mean kind of like you saw in the in the main event when one guy has such a style that you cannot do anything against, it becomes boring. And you know, in in a grappling sense, when uh, when a guy is such a much better grappler than everybody, when the guy that he's fighting, it, it looks the same way. It's just one guy pounding on the other guy. But when you get a, when you get two good grapplers like this, and Kies is definitely on another level than Luke, but you know, Luke is again no slouch. So all he needed was one window of opportunity, and Kiesa gave it to him, and he snatched that neck like a cobra, and just completely choked him. I mean, it was bad um gets the tap kiesa ends up not being able to go anywhere and he gets the tap and to me that was almost better than luke getting the um getting a knockout uh when you can tap out somebody like kiesa i know kiesa has gotten choked out by mazadol with the same thing but still choking him out is not an easy feat um you know we're talking about a really 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 high level grappler here um so it was just an amazing win luke is going to be in a weird position now because he's literally um two of his teammates were literally all the way at the top of this division um gilbert burns was actually in his corner so i don't think vincente would fight gilbert which would be an amazing fight an ab- especially after this one especially after choking out chiesa would be an absolute barn burner of a fight but now he's kind of finding it himself in a in an aka situation with um like uh like how swick koscheck and fitch were mo- mostly koscheck and fitch um but it's kind of like these two guys are probably going to be at the top of this division for a minute but i don't, I don't think they're going to fight and you know obviously this was a great decision for or you know Usman moving to Trevor Whitman's uh, team I don't know if that's full-time I don't know if he's still training with Hooft or if it's full-time with Whitman but um it was definitely a good idea because now you got two other guys uh from Hoof's gym uh from Sanford MMA who were knocking on the door for another title shot so it was probably the best for him to get out of there Vincente and Burns are going to have some things to figure out because they might have to fight each other to get, to get a crack. Obviously, Burns is still in, um, in, in in rebuilding mode, but we'll see what happens. But that was the fight I was most excited for. Uh, I'm not going to get into the Tisha fight or the Song Yudong fight. I'm kind of pressed for time. Uh, got a little guy I got to put to bed here. So I'm just going to talk about Fazeev and Bobby Green here real quick. Um, dude, that was an amazing fight. Bobby, you know, everyone was kind of co- counting Bobby Green out, but... I figured he'd make this uh, make this a fun barn burner. Um, you know, I think Fazeev did edge him out with those first two rounds. Obviously, he gassed in the third, um, and Bobby really put it down, put it on him. But I think too much, too many people are putting into this. You know, one judge scored at thirty twenty seven. You know, it didn't change the outcome of the fight. The right guy still won. Thirty twenty seven is ridiculous, but dude, you you guys got to understand this. Um, when we're fighting in you know, it's crazy because Texas is such a big state. They should be having way more fights than they do, but they don't. But their athletic commission is terrible. 
They don't get the right guys out there. They don't have the right kind of guys in there. Um, and so you're just going to, when you go to low markets like this, or not busy markets like this, this is what's going to happen. Um, unfortunately, I live in a state like that. Here in Arizona, it's the same thing. You get some wacky-ass judges. And this is a, especially as of late, this used to be a really big boxing town um, in, you know, like Central Phoenix. Uh, they got a lot of good boxing gyms out there. But within the, within the last five years, the, this state has really turned around with its homegrown MMA. And we got gyms everywhere now, and we have really big stars coming out of here. And so I would really like to see the Arizona Commission really turn turn around. But, you know, even with their last fight here in Arizona at UFC 263, there was some real questionable uh, scorecards and decisions, so... I don't think anything, um, anybody got too screwed over, but there was just some scorecards that I were like, eh, that doesn't sound about right. But, um, but neither here or there, that, that's some internal stuff that you gotta, that's some more politics that you gotta figure out. Um, but yeah, uh, that was a great fight though. If you guys haven't seen it, go back, go on ESPN plus, go on UFC fight pass and, uh, and rewatch that fight. That was a great fight. And, um, I would have loved for that to be like the headliner of a, of a UFC fight night and have that go five rounds because that was a that was a really 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 fun fight. Um, I want to turn back the clock a little bit. I want to go back to Bellator 263, wrapping up the uh, Bellator's 145 pound um, Grand Prix. You had um, AJ McKee, the young gun, the young Bellator um, prospect, who's been you know. Um, doing this for a for a, yeah, a little bit now, finally seasoned, runs through this whole tournament, runs through everybody really quick. Um, I don't even think he. Let's see here. Let's see this real quick. I mean, I'm pretty sure he beat everybody in the first round. Um, that's right. It started with yeah, dude. I mean, like, look at this. He knocks out Karahanian in the first round in, in eight seconds. Boom. Uh, submits Derek Campos in the third round, uh, you know, a minute into the third round. So that one went a little bit long. He net cranks with the with the McKeotine, uh, Darian Caldwell, who's a for- former 135-pound champ, no slouch, and then goes in there and taps out Pipple, Patricio Pipple, not even two minutes into the first round with a standing guillotine after uh, rocking him with a head kick. I mean, this kid is a star. This kid is the real deal. This kid made the most out of this tournament. Um, and it just makes me so happy to see. Like this is, And this is why Scott does these tournaments. It, it's it's to have breakouts like this. Do all the tournaments happen out like this? No. Like when I think uh, the first one that he did with, uh, with, um, with the heavyweights, you know, did you really like, you know, it was kind of Bader's coming out party and it was really good for Bader. But, you know, Bader was already kind of a mainstay. Um, Already was the champ at 205. But for guys like AJ McKee, these tournaments are, are really what can turn around and make them a star. Um, again, I, I couldn't be happier for the kid. And, you know, this kid, you know, again, uh, when he first came up, he was super reliant on his wrestling. Um, people called him boring. People said all this kind of shit. But now he's really coming in, like getting really confident in his style and really making a style of his own. And you know, now he's he's the dude. He's the young breed. He is the he's the future uh, of the sport for sure. And to cap off this tournament, beating the face of Bellator, beating the two division champ um, simultaneously, 
And beating a guy at Pipple who's, I mean, no slouch. And I will I will say this for Patricio. AJ McKee was just so much bigger. I mean, he looked like two weight classes above Patricio just because of his length. Um, it was just, it was amazing to see. What's crazy is, and this makes me re- feel really shitty about myself because I haven't done dick with my life. Um, but AJ is two months older than me. And look at this kid. He's on top of the world. Just want to... Um, just won a million dollars. Just choked out one of the best fighters in the world and one of the best ever. Um, and it's off to the races for this young kid. And I couldn't be happier for him. Um, damn, this kid's fucking 26 years old, same age as me, and fucking on top of the world right now. And and, and, and it's crazy because he's only 25 and he is yet he's got so much he can do still. I mean, talk about two division. This guy could be a three division champ at the end of the day. I mean, this kid's only 25. So we'll see what happens. Um Super excited about that. That whole this that whole last Bellator card, uh, top to bottom, was amazing. Bellator's kind of had an issue where they they've had trouble kind of gaining momentum event to event. Like they'll have one big main event or one big event that has really great fights, but then it's you know uh, in between you have a lot of these um, smaller fights, um, and so it's kind of hard to build momentum. Which kind of like you're kind of getting this weekend with Musasi and uh, with Musasi and John Salter, but. Um, I get it. You know, we're still kind of living in this COVID era, so it, it's it's still kind of dicey. But this was the first Bellator event, at least in a long time, that I f- that for me felt like a really really big event. Um, um, you know, not not a big MMA event, but just a big event general, and that's that's UFC. That's it felt like the you know big strike force fights from back in the day. It felt like a big box. It just felt like a big event. Like it was important. Like it meant something, like it was historical, and I just feel like Bellator needs more of these um, to really gain momentum. And and you know they're on their way. Um, I do really feel like okay, if you really want to build on all these stars now, though, you I know they just signed that deal with Showtime, so they'll be on Showtime. But I really think you got to do more of these fights on CBS. You got to get these guys on public TV. Um, you know, it's kind of paying dividends for the UFC to be on ESPN to get the coverage. And it's good that ESPN is actually covering Bellator. So the more you get these guys on a public platform like CBS, it's just going to be better for everybody. It'll be better for Bellator. It'll be better for the fighters. And it'll be better for the network. Um, but yeah, I, that that was amazing. Um, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of this. Um, just because I want to talk about this a little bit later. Um you know, Sean Strickland uh, defeated Uriah Faber, uh, Uriah Faber, Uriah Hall, which I thought going into this fight was kind of a bad stylistic matchup for Hall. I thought Hall had the explosiveness and could catch Strickland at any moment. But again, kind of like Derek Lewis, Hall doesn't do the best against real technical strikers. Um, guys who, re- you know, can, re- like, like Strickland did, just put a jab on him, stick to the fundamentals, which, you know, Strickland did, but. It was just weird because, you know, Strickland was totally flat-footed, um, just kind of walked him down with the jab and just kind of outpointed him, and Hall didn't really have an answer to it. I think it came out that Hall was injured, and that kind of makes sense. Um, but that was a big fight for, for Strickland coming out of that fight. Um, or That was a big fight for Strickland, and he capitalized perfectly on it and now is on the upper echelon of 185 pounds. And, you know, with Adesanya being the the champ there, anytime you get, like, kind of, like, these high-level strikers, they're always going to, they're always going to be, uh, like, like Strickland, they're always going to be, um, 
put into the mix with Adesanya just because of the stylistic um, matchup. Um, but we'll kind of we'll, we'll kind of circle back on Strickland here in a minute, um, just because there's some news with him coming up. Um, on the 24th of July, we had T.J. Dillashaw defeat Corey Sandhagen until T.J. Dillashaw's return um, to MMA after his suspension from EPO. And my God, was that a crazy fucking fight! Like that that fight is everything I wanted out of it. Um, super super razor thin. I've watched it a few times over, and the first time I saw it, I thought TJ edged it out. The second time I watched it, I thought Corey may have done a little bit more. And every time I watch it, I kind of find something else that I didn't notice the first time, and so I keep going back and forth on it. Um, I'm going to kind of echo what everybody else has been saying. I think overall TJ won the, 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 the sport side of it. He won the rounds that he needed to, but I think overall Corey obviously did the more damage. So if you want to say who won the fight, which doesn't mean anything because, you know, there's a W under Dillashaw's name and not under Corey's, but Corey definitely did more of the damage. But I, I, again, I think other people are saying this too, but I'm going to double down it may kind of get lost in the thick of things, but Corey's um, all of the damage were in the two rounds that he that the judges ended up giving him um, uh, on the two scorecards that he ended up losing overall. But um, on the two judges that gave it to Dillashaw and the rounds where he did the cut and did all the damage uh, were in the rounds that they gave him. So I don't think it was too egregious. Um, but I, I think I think people really got to give TJ Dillashaw here um, a lot more credit than they're than they're giving him. This guy not only is his first fight in two years um, was at a tremendous size disadvantage. I mean, did you see how much distance Dillashaw had to close against Corey? And then not only that, but on one leg. I mean, I can't think of anything more savage than a dude with a blown knee having to close that much distance and still pulling out the victory. Yeah, was it razor thin? But the fact that he made it razor thin after blowing out his knee in the first round, which again was caused by Santa Hagen. It's not like Dillashaw did anything. You know, Dillashaw got a little too uh, little too crazy in the in um, Santa Hagen in that 50-50 position with the, with the heel hook and ended up getting his knee jacked. Um, but dude, I don't think you guys understand, like... Go go put on some boxing gloves. Find a friend who's taller than you, has a longer reach, and I want you to try and get inside of his reach. It's impossible. It's so hard. It's not impossible. I take that back because Dillashaw did a little bit. But it is. it, it takes an, a tremendous amount of energy, and it's incredibly hard. And to constantly have to do that. And TJ was whiffing a lot. Let's get beyond it. TJ was definitely whiffing a lot. But the fact that he, on a busted knee, still tried to close the distance, still was mixing it up, and still was landing on, you know, on not his first two punches, but, you know, on his third and fourth was just amazing. Um, this does not drop Corey Sandhagen that low and will probably be right back up there. You know, one more fight and he could get a title shot. Um I mean, yeah, I mean, no matter who they put him in there with, I guarantee you one more win, and then he's fighting the winner um, of, uh, you know, after after TJ gets his shot. Um, and, you know, this sport's crazy. Somebody could get injured. Crazy things happen. So he could be put right back up there in, in any moment. I know he was disappointed, but he's really, really not that far behind TJ. Um, and I would love to see that fight again when everybody's healthy. Um, that was an amazing fight, and I just can't get over the heart 
the savageness and the tenacity of TJ Dillashaw. That's why he is my, like uh, he he was my he's my favorite fighter to watch hands down. Um, period, and that's why this last two years without him just was such a detriment uh, for me. I to me he is he is the definition of a mixed martial artist, and I don't mean that in in. Um, in some like philosophical way i'm talking about what i like to see when i watch fights the way he moves the way he mixes up his striking and the way he mixes in his takedowns and his top control um and his scrambling like go back and watch him and dominic cruz that fight was insane and go back and watch their grappling uh, scrambles it's it's just absolutely insane and the way he adapts, the way he adapts is just, it, it, you know, go. Uh, if you want to see the way he adapts, go back and watch the uh, the first Cody Garbrandt fight. Um, and he listens to his coaches better than anybody I've seen. Um, him and Justin Gaethje are, are both really, uh, Justin Gaethje now, before it wasn't that way, but Justin Gaethje now, um, both of those guys, the way they listen to their corners, it's it's every coach's dream. Um so I'm so happy that TJ's back. I hope his knee's not too jacked, and I hope he gets back in there and we see him um, fight the winner of Jan and Algermain because I think either of those guys are great matchups. And, uh, you know, I kind of have to agree with him. I think uh, Petter gets this done uh, in the rematch, and um, Jan versus Dillashaw is going to be insane. Um, and, dude, he's, like, he just makes this division just fucking this division was already super stacked and now throwing tj back in here it's just like this division could not the only thing that can make this division any better right now there's two things that can make this division better that's henry coming back and saying fuck it i guess i need money and i want to fight and i'm not going to get a big fight unless i just get back into the thick of things he comes back to 135 and he gets mixed up right back in there with the top five guys or if they start which this will never happen but if they start cross promoting with the with Bellator's 135 pound division that's the only way this could get any better but other than that this is as good as it's going to fucking get and I'm fucking stoked for 135 pounds okay let's get into some previews for for this weekend let's see here so we got Bellator let's see when is this yeah this is tomorrow and this is tomorrow. So yeah, so we got um, we got Bellator and PFL going head to head against each other. Um, let's start with PFL. PFL does have their. This is the first round of their um, playoff rounds uh, or playoffs, as they like to call it. So we got uh, lightweight semifinals. Oh, okay. So I guess this is just a four man bracket on both ends, which. Hey PFL, I'm just gonna say this once. Let me just let me let me just say this, and then we can move on. I'm starting to get into your product a little bit more. You guys got really good fighters, um, which is at the end of the day the only thing that matters. Um, and your broadcast is getting better. You definitely don't need as many lower thirds as you guys have. All the graphics and shit is fucking useless, and your playoff point system is fucking insane. And you guys need to fix this because. Gleason Tebow arguably beats the best guy in the whole division. Um, yeah, it was a, definitely a bad decision in my books, but he still, again, gets the W, and he's not even in the playoffs. And not only is he not in the playoffs, but he's on the prelim portion of your card. This makes no sense, guys. This makes no sense. Um, I mean, look, look at this. You got... Yeah, this this just makes absolutely no sense. Um 
getting a win over McDonald, even in the fashion that it was in. He definitely should have been in these playoffs. I get it. You only have so many spots to fill, and I guess you didn't have that many fighters going into this. Um, well, no, that's not even true because you guys had like, why couldn't you just make this an eight man instead of a, instead of a four man? You could even do a, you could have even done a six man and then the number one seed gets a buy the first round. Um, I don't know. I just think your guys' point system is fucked up. Um, even with the, uh, this isn't the only time that it's happened, but I think this whole thing is fucked up. Um, but yeah, you got Ray Cooper, the third taking on Rory McDonald and you know a lot of people were saying this actually probably should have been the uh uh you know these guys should have been on opposite ends of the bracket but i think it's how these guys line i don't know if it's is there is there even maybe i should just go to the pfl website let me get to the bottom of this real quick pfl let's just see you know this is not even important it doesn't even matter i'm just beating a dead horse uh beating the head over a dead horse um so ray cooper the third is fighting rory mcdonald and you know Usually, in any other circumstance, I would be taking Rory McDonald, but there's something about Ray Cooper's aggressiveness that I feel like Rory's going to have a tough time with. And, you know, McDonald from back in the day did really, really well against super aggressive guys, but ever since that second... um, Ever since that second uh, Lawler fight, he really hasn't been the same, and he's been really damage-averse. And so I feel like if Cooper can really push the pace and really make this uh, um, just a barn burner uh, for him, and, you know, I can't even say barn burner, but if if Cooper can make this ugly and just really, really, really... um, What's the word that I'm looking for? Just just be aggressive. He just needs to be aggressive against McDonald. Yeah, McDonald's going to look for his his openings. Probably going to be looking for a takedown in his top control. But as his fights with Jake Shields went, uh, you know, that's not easy. And I know uh, Magomed, um, I'm going to kill his name, uh, Magomed, Magomed Kiramov. Magomed, Magomed Kiranov. There we go. See, these Russian names aren't that hard, you guys. You just got to really phonetically pronounce your syllables. That's all you got to do. Um, it's like Spanish. It's all right there for you. Nothing silent. Uh, anyways, uh, but, you know, he kind of did the same thing. He kind of just out-wrestled and, and, and out-pointed him. So McDonald could do that, but I feel like Ray Cooper's just not that guy. And, yeah, could he blow his load in the, in the first round, maybe first round and a half, and then McDonald takes over? Yeah, but, I mean, that's the kind of fight that Cooper's got to employ in order to beat a guy like McDonald. And I think he was saying all the all the right stuff leading up to this fight. He goes, you know, uh, McDonald's been inconsistent. Sometimes it looks like his head's in there, and sometimes it's not. He better hope his head's in there with me because I'm going to go in there and fucking kill him. And that's all the kind of stuff that, that you need to do. That's the kind of stuff you need to say, and that's the kind of game plan you need to implement when you fight a guy like Rory. Um, so super stoked for that fight. Um, again, you got Magomed, Magomed Kirinov, Kirimov, um, also in the welterweight semifinal. I don't know too much about the guy he's fighting, but he is the returning champ um, at this weight class. So I suspect Magomed is going to get the win there. And then you're going to see Magomed versus either a rematch with Cooper or you're going to get a crazy fight with him and Rory. Um, you got clay collard the fucking dark horse of this whole lightweight fucking tournament um he's fighting manifino you got alex martinez and so you got you know you got the the lightweights filling out um that should be a good card 
Uh, that should be fun, especially if you're not doing anything on a Friday night. Definitely tune in. Um, on the flip side, though, you got Bellator. Um, you got Gegard Mousasi taking on John Salter. Gegard Mousasi just reclaimed his uh, middleweight belt after beating Douglas Lima, the 170-pound champ, which was a terrible fight. Um, just a just an ugly fight. But getting his belt back after getting beat by uh, Lovato Jr., which should give John Salter a lot of confidence. Now, John Salter is no... He's a great grappler. He's nowhere near the level of, of um, Rafael Lovato, but can definitely implement a lot of the same tools that he did. Um, Gegard's no slouch. It's not going to be easy, but if Salter really, really rises to the occasion, he can implement a lot of stuff that Lovato did and make this a really long, bad night for Gegard. And this isn't Gegard of old. This is you know, this is a kind of this is kind of long in the tooth Gagard, who I don't know how much longer he's going to be doing this for. I mean, I believe he's 37. He's been everywhere in this sport. He's been not only not only in career wise, but just just physically. I mean, geographically, he's been everywhere. He's fought all over, and so I just don't know how much longer and how much more energy he's going to want to put into this game. And so and and. On the flip side, you got Salter, who's just waiting for for an opportunity like this to really show people and really um, put on display what he's capable of. And what better way than to beat Gagard Musasi for the Bellator middleweight title? A guy who, if you're a hardcore, if you're any sort of MMA fan in the last 10 years, even 50, you know, obviously more than that. But I just mean, if you've been following MMA, you know Gagard and you know you know where he comes from. You know what kind of resume he brings. So if Salter can get in there and, you know, get a win over Gagard, it's off to the races for him, man. Um, this could definitely be Salter's coming out party. It would be a terrible loss for Gagard. But, you know, this is this is one of those fights where if, if Gagard's not on his P's and Q's, Salter could definitely upset him. And that's what really makes this fight interesting to me. Um, so, I mean, let, let's see. I mean, how many, how many submissions is Salter coming off of? Um, yeah, he had an uh, arm triangle in his last one decision before that um and then got shitty with the um rear naked choke see and now salter i forgot about this but he does have a loss to havato uh lovato jr uh by rear naked choke and that just shows you the level that shows you the level that lovato is on and so um because salter's no joke i mean like look, look look at this he's got i mean yeah man he's got so many submissions on his record um does it say here on mma junkie no, it doesn't. But yeah, uh, this could definitely be Salter's coming out party here, and he could—he's definitely—he has the conditioning, he's got the grappling, and he's got the wrestling to make this a very, very long bad night for uh, for Gagard. Um, so I'm really interested in that. Uh, Sabai Homasi is taking on Andre Koroskov, which would be a great fight. Koroskov uh, coming back um, since his last couple defeats um against Sabah Hamasi that should be a really fun fight but really the um the highlight on this card is going to be um again we're talking about 135 guys you know my favorite division 135 you got Magomed Magomedov taking on uh Rafian Sats and both of these guys are at the literally at the same place in their careers both guys are like uh, uh, Raf. I keep wanting to put a Brazilian accent on Rafian's um, name, but it's no ha. It's a ra. Um, he's fifteen and one. Magomed is eighteen and one, I believe. Right? Eighteen and one. Yeah, eighteen and one. Um, 
Both guys are super well-rounded. Um, Rafael, you know, has a really good wrestling background. His striking is slowly coming together, but still, you know, you he's got to uh, rely on his wrestling a little bit more. Um, I don't even think he's lost a round in I don't know how many fucking fights. I mean, he's just been blowing everybody out. Um, and then you got uh, Magomed, who has a win over Petr Jan. Um, this was a big, big steal, by the way, for, uh, for Bellator. Like this is a, this is a big, big, big signing. Um, I know he's two and O in Bellator right now. Um, doesn't have wins over the biggest names, but dude, uh, um, he's right there all the way at the top. Um, let me see here real quick, but yeah, that's definitely the fight to look out for stylistically stakes, legacy, all of that. That is the fight that, you know, I love when, Two, two young guys who are on the way to their top get matched up together like this. And this could either be Magomed solidifying that he was the best 135-pounder outside of Bellator and the UFC, or this is Rafael's coming out party to put down the, you know, the tough Dagestan. Or, 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 I don't want to even call him, but what is he? I guess, yeah, he's just Russian. Um, over the tough Russian cat. Um, so that's definitely the fight to watch on this card. If you can't check anything else out, definitely make sure you check out Rafian and Magomed Magomedov. Um, those are the fights uh, for this weekend. Um, let's see. So that t- takes care of the previews. Let's see. Um, here, you know what? It, it Today is August 12th, 2020. And, um, you know, I, I love going... Um, I love looking up blast from the past, blast from the past, blast from the past, and um, I love getting those old feels back from from old fights, man. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's probably the only reason why I uh, I subscribe to UFC Fight Passes. Anytime I'm feeling like shit, um, I know some people always go put on like funny movies or something, but I'll put on old fights that I get emotional over, and. Um, I uh, I was going through the archives a little bit, and I just realized it is about to be the 10-year anniversary of Chris Lytle versus Dan Hardy. And I know for whoever's listening probably may not even know uh, either of those names. Oh, I guess you guys would know Dan Hardy just from the broadcasting uh, broadcasting side. Sorry if my, uh, my, my kid's cracking up because his aunt just got home, and he loves his aunt, so he's, he's laughing hysterically in the background. But, um... Uh, sorry if that bled through, guys, but uh, um, yeah, August fourteenth, twenty eleven, um, and now th- this whole fight card was great. Now this was one of the few fight cards on on versus uh, that got put on the versus channel for back in the day. If any of you guys remember uh, um, versus, but I mean, like, dude, look at the names on this card. So this is UFC on versus five again, August fourteenth, twenty eleven, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Only had an attendance of about sixty seven hundred people, which is just crazy but you had uh danny castillo jacob volkman cole miller alex caceres bruce leroy um jimmy hedis ronnie marks kyle noak ed herman joey b eddie wineland jared hammond who was a killer back in the day and he came back and he knocked out cb dalloway that's all the prelims guys that was the prelims that's this is back when the prelims were all names This isn't back when the UFC had 800 guys under their roster. This is when they had a very, very, very small clique of fighters. So it didn't matter where you tuned in to the fight. You were getting names. 
Um, this is back when you would you would buy tickets to a UFC and you would show up for the very, very first fight because, again, it's all names top to bottom. But this is the main card, guys. You got Dwayne Ludwig, Amir Sadala, Donald Cerrone, Charles Oliveira. Look at that. Donald Cerrone, Charles Oliveira. Ten years ago, guys. Benson Henderson, Jim Miller, Chris Lytle, Dan Hardy. And uh, I just want to talk about these four main fights here real quick because th- this was a, an amazing fight card. Like, all of these fights were great. Um, opening up the main card, you had Dwayne Ludwig taking on Amir Sadala. And now this this fight was supposed to be, like, a uh, again, uh, uh, kind of like a rebound um, a rebound fight for uh, – or not a rebound fight, but like a uh, a um, a building block. Uh, there we go for Amir Sadala. Um, UFC had kind of, you know, Amir Sadala was coming off the uh, season of the Ultimate Fighter. He was one of one of these rare winners who actually had no professional fights. He actually, I think, lied on his application, but ended up having no real professional fights. So his first fight when he armbarred CB Dalloway in the finale was his first professional fight. And you know how the UFC is, especially back then, like, there's no easy fight. So after that, his second fight in the UFC, his second professional fight in MMA is against Johnny Hendricks. And uh, Johnny blasts him. Um, And then he sits out for a little bit, and then he takes on Phil Baroni. You know, he uh, outworks Phil Baroni, but... You know, Amir never really had the, the the best career, and I think it had a lot to do with you know not really building that 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 record up outside the UFC, and then getting thrown to the wolves right away. Um, kind of was going up and down, but then had built up a, a a bit of a good win streak against Peter Sabata and Demarcus Johnson, and then got put in there with Dwayne Ludwig, and you know was kind of supposed to put it on Ludwig to kind of build Amir up, and Ludwig just had so many other plans for that. Um, Hold on one second, guys. Uh, Ludwig just came out there and just put a beating, just an absolute beating on Sadala. Um, I think the scorecards ended up being 29-28, and I think Sadala ended up winning the third round. But it, w- it was a great comeback fight for Dwayne Ludwig, who had really not um, not looked good in a long time. Um, and so that was that was a great moment for hardcores at the time because if you were a hardcore at that time um, – you know, Ludwig was was kind of a legend, um, you know, on like the underground and stuff like that. And obviously now everybody knows him from uh, coaching Team Alpha Male and, you know, bringing TJ Dillashaw to what he is now. So that was a great moment. Uh, you had Donald Cerrone take on Charles Oliveira. And I think this was one of those weird fights with Charles where he kind of got like, it, I think it was a delayed reaction where he, he got hit in the body or something like that and ended up crumbling late or maybe got clipped in the head and it was kind of like a delayed reaction TKO late in the in the first round, um, and this was kind of uh, this was on Cerrone's initial run in the UFC. So I think this was his this was his third fight in 2011 in UFC, and this was on that initial initial run where he did five fights in 2011. Um, so this kind of showed the you know the the middle ground of Cerrone's ri- initial rise in the UFC, and then you had a. Um, the same thing. You this is this is right around the time with the influx from WEC because all the WEC guys had just crossed over to the UFC. So you had this was Cerrone's third fight because he's a savage, and you had Benson's second fight. So the, uh, Benson Henderson's second fight in UFC, coming off of a beatdown over Mark Bowick or Bocek, sorry, and um, 
taking on Jim Miller. And now this fight was probably a, a, a title eliminator for Jim Miller. Jim Miller was riding high at the time. Um, let me see here real quick. Yeah, he... Uh, so... Dating back to UFC 96, Jim Miller had a loss to Gray Maynard, which he just got out-wrestled because Gray Maynard was the fucking man at the time, but then won one, two, three, four, five, six on a seven-fight winning streak going into the Spence and Henderson fight. Now, even though WEC was big at the time, even though WEC was around, and you see this still to this day, 10 years later... The WEC guys never got respect because they weren't UFC guys. And so going into this fight, everybody thought Jim Miller was going to run over Benson. And I was one of the few people, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I was one of the few guys who was saying, nope, this kid Benson's no fucking joke. And you got to remember, this is after Benson had that crazy fight with Pettis, had the crazy fight with Cerrone, had the two crazy fights with Cerrone. Uh, had the crazy fight with Jamie Vaughn. Like, he had already had this whole series of crazy big fights at Lightweight in WEC, but because they weren't under the UFC banner, you know, nobody really took him seriously. And so everybody thought this was Jim Miller's fight to lose. But then Benson went in there and picked up right where he left off against Mark Bocek and just beat the shit, beat the absolute shit out of Jim Miller. I mean, Jim Miller was not in that fight at all. And Benson beat him everywhere. And Benson beat him. And this is back, and again, I don't know when. uh, You know, once Benson won the title at 155 in the UFC, his whole game changed. And he got way more conservative. And I I don't know what that was for. But before he won the belt in UFC, he just put on a crazy pace against guys. And he was one of the most exciting fighters to watch. And he was one of my favorites to watch. Because you, it was so hard to beat that guy anywhere, and he was so flexible. Like, you would have a single leg on this guy, and Benson would be doing the splits. It'd be insane. And you, you couldn't get any leverage on him because he was so flexible. Um, but yeah, so that this this fight was really um, Benson's coming out party. And I, I want to say, actually, after this, he got a title fight against Frankie. Um, let me check this out. Let me check this. Let me, let me, let me. Oh, no, no, no. That's right. So he has those two he has those two beatdowns against Jim Miller, Mark Bocek, and then goes and has that crazy war with Clay Guido where they just fucking just slung fire at each other. Um, and that's just that's a little funny story because that's that was the first UFC event on Fox and UFC did that stupid thing where they only wanted to show the heavyweight fight. So it didn't even get broadcasted. That crit that would have that would have spelled or that would have showed exactly what mixed martial arts is supposed to be to the to the world on Fox, and instead you got one minute of a Brazilian dude knocking out a Mexican. Um, but anyways, we're not talking about that fight. But then after that, had you know won the belt against Frankie in Japan, and then you know that kind of was the rest of his career. Um, and then in the main event, yeah, you had Chris Lytle and Dan Hardy, and the only reason why this was the main event was because of name value. Dan, uh, they were at two different places in their career. Dan was on a rebound trail or on a rebound tour because he had um, three straight losses. He had the loss to he had the loss to GSP where he got shut out in the in the um, in the title fight. He had a uh, he got knocked out by Carlos Condit in his back backyard when they traded left hooks, and then Anthony Johnson just Anthony Johnsoned him. Um, I think, no, 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 yeah, I think he hurt him with a head kick, or he hurt Hardy with a head kick early, and then just out-wrestled him for three rounds, um, and so this was kind of supposed to be, 
Hardy's, you know, rebound fight just because of wherever Lytle is good. Hardy was a little bit better with the stand-up. And I think everybody thought Lytle would just kind of stand there and bang with Hardy and then end up getting clipped. But Lytle had no interest. That was not on on, uh, on Lytle's uh, radar at all. Um, Lytle actually going into the fight at the weigh-ins handed Dana White a long letter just pretty much saying like, hey, this is my last fight. I'm going to retire. Thank you for everything. You know, this is the greatest company, you know, just just pretty much going out on a high note and saying how much he appreciates the sport, Dana, the UFC and everything for giving him this life that, you know, if it wasn't for them, you know, he would, you know, probably be, you know, he is, I believe Chris Idol is a firefighter. So he had other avenues, but to, you know, get that competitive um, outlet for him um, and uh, kind of, you know, wrapped it up in a, in a beautiful letter to Dana. And then just and, and how, when do we see this? When do we see guys get to go out on their own terms, right? Actually, I think Lytle has come back recently in bare-knuckle boxing, but I'm talking about MMA and obviously, you know, back in the day. But, um, hold on, I gotta bring this back up. Uh, but yeah, um, they pretty much just gunsling for three rounds. And then out of nowhere, I don't, I, I can't remember if Hardy got hurt or, or if he was just trying, I think he, what do you, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I think he was just trying to win points because he knew it was going to go to decision and it was kind of up in the air, but then Dan Hardy just shot this terrible, terrible, terrible double leg and Chris Lytle just gets in the, the, the tightest, cleanest, high elbow guillotine I've seen in a long time and gets the tap and there's no better way to call it a career. Um, it, it was amazing. It was a great fight. If you guys have UFC Fight Pass, go back, watch this whole event. If you can, don't have time to watch the whole event, specifically watch the main event. And it, it's a three-round gunfight, and it ends with Chris Lytle just choking the shit out of Dan Hardy, which made Dan Hardy 0-4, and, and everyone was worried that was going to be it for Dan Hardy. It was kind of one of those things where you saw, like, you know, it's a, it's a quick rise to the top, and then it's the hardest fall you've ever seen. Um kind of like what till was going through for a minute kind of you know you see this sometimes where guys get all the way to the top and they have a hard time rebounding and staying at the top that's why guys like john fitch um there's a plethora of other guys steven thompson there's a, a bunch of other guys who can get all the way to the top and then still just linger at the top it's way harder to do that than just to rise when the belt and then right off into the sunset um so that was an amazing amazing fight um so yeah again if you guys got ufc fight pass go check that out um, let's get into some news real quick. Um, you know what? I had a lot of other, I had a lot of things I wanted to talk about, but what time are we at? Yeah, we're pushing a little over an hour. Um, it's getting kind of late here, so I'm probably gonna cut off some of this stuff. Um, let's just talk about this real quick. Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz is making his return. Uh, it's against Robbie Lawler, which is the fight it should have been if it wasn't going to be Masvidal. And um, it's official, guys. Like the po- I, I didn't believe it, but when the poster came out and you saw Nick Diaz's name, I got chills down my down my spine. This is nuts. Um, you know, is this the best version of Robbie Lawler? No. But I think that's what makes this a little more interesting. Um, where do we even start with this? You know, there's still a lot of questions to be asked about Nick because he's coming off of a f- over a five-year layoff. Like he didn't for last time he fought it was Anderson Silva, January of 2015. It is now August. It will be September 2021. So it's uh, you know it's been six years since he fought. But the thing about Nick that makes this interesting, it's not like he's coming up off the couch. It's not like these like 
you know, trailer fights, which we'll talk about here in a minute, where they're pulling guys who haven't even put on gloves in I don't know how long or gone through a training camp. Like, him and his brother are always in shape. I mean, if you follow any, both of, either of them on, on uh, social media, just because they're not fighting doesn't mean they're not training. Like, they, they live the lifestyle, guys. Like, that's that's what they live and breathe. That's what they do every day. It's not, it's not it, you know, this isn't a job for them. It's a lifestyle. And that's what makes this interesting because, you know, n- Nick is still going to put a pace on you. Yeah, his timing might be off. Yeah, he might look a little rusty, but he's going to be in shape. He's going to be able to go, uh, definitely going to be able to go three rounds. And the thing that makes this really interesting is, you know, Lawler, Lawler's been kind of shopworn the last few fights. I mean, he could, um, he got overwhelmed by, um, he got overwhelmed by, uh, by Colby. And that was in a wrestling department. But even with the stand-up, I mean, Colby was just throwing pitter-patter punches. And just because you don't know what's coming, um, it was making Lawler kind of hesitant. Um, same thing with RDA. Um, you know, RDA kind of flustered him with speed and with shots coming from everywhere. Um, let me see where else Robbie has been. But, you know, just the Lawler has not, it, it, obviously, a shop worn. He's been in the game a really long time. Um, and so if this was... You know, if this was a fresher Robbie Lawler taking on a Nick Diaz coming off the couch, I might think this is this is a death sentence for Nick. But I mean, oh yeah, look at so you got he he you know Lawler's on a four fight losing streak. Uh, Dos Anjos had that weird fight against uh, Ben Askren, which I thought there's all the controversy around that, so we'll just take that out of the equation. Um, the Colby Covington fight where he didn't want to throw, and the Neil Magny, which was kind of the same thing. You know, he just kind of got outworked. Um, and, and Nick can definitely do that to him even coming off the couch, which makes this fight super exciting for me because I have no idea what the fuck's going to happen. And this is a great fight for Nick to come back to because, you know, it gets him uh, a win over a name. It's a legends fight. And then we can kind of answer some of the questions that we have, like, what is he going to look like? How, you know, just a lot of questions about his game will get answered in that fight. And then we can see where we can put him after that. If you're going to put him right into a fight with a killer that's been fighting, you know, consistently, it's kind of like, oh, we, do we really want to do that to our boy? So this is this is perfect matchmaking, in my opinion. This is exactly what we needed to see. Um, moving on from that, though, we have Anderson Silva taking on Tito Ortiz in a boxing fight on Triller. God, do I want to go 10 different ways with this? Number one, I would have much rather have seen this in an MMA fight. Boxing does make it kind of interesting because... Anderson kind of has this weird kind of counter-striking game. Tito's been working on his boxing with uh, Jason Perillo down at Ruka for, I want to say, for a long time now. And Tito's boxing actually over the last few years has looked really, really, really good. I mean, that's how he's won his last couple fights is actually with his boxing. So it's, it's interesting on, on that regard, but I definitely would have rather seen this in an MMA fight. Um, the thing I question, though, is with Triller is... Because it's on the Vitor, it's on the Vitor Oscar De La Hoya card, and I wonder if this is. Because um, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't actually know if Oscar is going to get in there. Do you guys? Does anyone? Uh, uh, does anyone else have that kind of like feeling like they don't know if Oscar is actually going to make this date? Um, I have no hesitation with Vitor, but Oscar is a wild. Like I can't even believe he's going to get back in there. Um, I don't know if. This could be a mess of things. Is Oscar getting in there because he's been on too much cocaine and he's living in his head too much? 
is he seeing what um, everybody else, uh, all the other legends are doing and cashing in on these crazy fights, these crazy circus fights? But it's like if you're cashing in on these crazy circus fights, why the hell would you pick Vitor Belfort, who's going to come in there on all the Mexican supplements and go in there and probably try and kill you? Like this is like you you there's a lot of other fights you could have taken besides Vitor. Um, so that makes it kind of weird, um, which I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm not feeling about that, but is this, and, and this all got to be expensive because l- let's put it this way. You have Oscar De La Hoya, not going to be cheap. You have, uh, Vitor Belfort, not going to be cheap. You have Tito Ortiz, not cheap. Anderson Silva, not cheap. And now you got David Hay on there, not cheap. I mean, all of those guys are going to be making way over a hundred thousand dollars and can truly even afford this. So I don't know if this is like a contingency fight to to like fall in place in case something happens. Like it's just to be on the card in case something happens with with Oscar. Um, but I don't even know where they're pulling this money from. So they must have some crazy good investors or something. But um, I don't know if Triller can survive on this because I don't know too many people going to be paying to see all these old guys fight. Uh, it's definitely going to be pirated, but I don't know about if anyone's actually going to be paying for that. Um Next up, we got Luke Rockhold taking on, I guess he's returning against Sean Strickland. Not the fight I thought he would return against just because he was talking about how if it's not a big name, then I don't want it and I'll choose to sit out and all these guys don't want to fight me and all this bullshit. But, you know, I guess if you want to return to the upper echelon of 185 pounds, Sean's like a great matchup for you. Um, I'm pretty sure he's top five now and he's kind of got a style that plays perfect into Luke's style um as you can see in his last couple fights you know he has great striking great fundamental striking but super flat footed doesn't use a lot of movement and sits behind his jab um especially looping a southpaw that left kick is going to be there all day and if you don't have a lot of um if you don't have a lot of good movement like that that's uh that's gonna play right into luke so luke's probably and, and on the ground like if luke can get a takedown oh god oh god it's gonna be bad um so i get i mean i I think it's a great fight for luke to see where he's at um should be interesting i will it's not official so we'll see because you know how luke is with between injuries and getting into hissy fits so i love luke i love luke but you know how it is um next up uh there was some breaking news i think that came out today that yul romero is actually cleared to fight and so he should be returning here either in september or in october and I'm praying to God uh, that they put him on the October card here in Phoenix. Um, so it would be um, Anthony Johnson, Vadim in the main event, Ryan Bader, Corey Anderson, Colmain, and then Yul Romero right below it. Bellator is probably going to spread him out to pump up another card. But I'm praying to God that they put him on that card because then that card would just be unbelievable. But let's talk about some guys you could fight. You know, Do they sign um, kind of like an unranked kind of regional guy to – kind of get you know get him back because uh, he you got to remember Romero hasn't fought he was the last live main event in the UFC before the shutdown him and Adesanya was the last pay-per-view before I think that was the last event before the shutdown so that's how long it's been since Romero's has fought um so do they find somebody on the regional scene do they find some you know somebody just to sign and to put him in there against do they kind of go back to the well and, you know, do they do a rematch with Machida, which I'm not really into? Do they pin him up against there with the guy uh, 
that filled in for Yoel and fought Anthony Johnson and um, Jose Augusto, which had a pretty good fight against Johnson. And it's kind of doing Augusto a favor to see, you know, where he fits in, in this division at 205 in Bellator. You could put him up against Vadim's brother, Victor. Um, that would be fun. They that, that would be a fun fight. The fight that probably makes the most sense but probably wouldn't be the most fun is Phil Davis. I love Phil, but dude, I just it, like he just does not have the best fighting style, and he kind of when he fights other wrestlers, it, it 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 just always ends up like canceling each other out, and it never ends up being that fun. Um, but you know, it, it makes sense. It makes sense stylistically and everything. It, I mean, uh, like rankings wise, it it makes sense. And both Machida and Phil, um, you know, have both lost coming out of this tournament. So if you really want to put you all you know, back up there, th those would be the fights to do it, and I'm probably going to get a lot of shit for this, but I think the person I want to see him fight the most is Melvin Madhoff, guys, I know Melvin is, okay, listen, Melvin is just as old as, as, uh, as Romero, both guys are specimens, both guys, I don't know how they keep their bodies that late into their life, both guys are super athletic, I know man have just got destroyed by uh, by um, by Corey Anderson, but dude, Melvin's never had a wrestling game. He's just always relied on his crazy kickboxing. And yeah, could Yol do that? Yeah, but I just from the explosive point of view, I want to see Melvin and Romero. I think that would be fantastic of a fight because somebody's getting knocked out. Um, you know whether Yol can get an explosive takedown and do it from the top, or he ex explodes with a flying knee, or I just think it, like if you, if you're gonna do a wrestler versus striker who with a wrestler who's got good strike, like that's the best fight to do. That's the best coming out party for Yol in uh, in Bellator, and I think that would do a lot. Like I just think that 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 actually works a lot, and that that's definitely better matchmaking than doing Melvin and Corey because there's no way Corey was gonna stand with Melvin where. Yol kind of has to play that outside game before doing that. Um, but yeah, that kind of wraps up everything I've got, guys. Thanks for sitting with me now for almost an hour and 20 minutes. Um, it feels good to do a full episode again. Um, you know, I've been kind of um, I've been kind of lazy with this podcast and kind of doing it whenever I feel like it. But um, I really want to get I, re I really want to get serious. I really want to get uh, in the habit of doing this once a week and i don't know let's see where it goes guys i appreciate you guys taking the taking the ride with me and we'll see where it goes peace